0: We think we've heard of that before. Stranger stories every day. Wonder what tomorrow's gonna bring. So listen, friends, we'll blow your mind with the finest nonsense we could find. Might be true, and that's the weirdest thing. Hello. Hi. Uh. uh
1: so yeah, we're, welcome back, everybody, to the <laughs> Weirdest Thing podcast. <laughs> What did I, did I do? Something funny? You're
0: just like, you're like, uh, yeah, so hi. Welcome yeah. back. Uh, Whatever. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I'm all distracted trying to like get my whole desk situation working I know, for this me is- here.
0: This is always a bit of a trial. It's it's funny, actually, because I was in, I was going to therapy. I'm in therapy and uh, like, like everybody should be. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's virtual. And yeah. every time we meet, I'm always like, hold on, let me, ju- let me hide self view, yeah. maximize, turn off, enlarge microphone. On. Like there's all of this stuff. So it always takes me like five minutes to actually get into. Yeah.
1: Well, that's where like, I was literally sitting here because you were finishing up and I was just sitting here doing nothing for the last hour. Then you were like, "I'm ready," and I'm like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> like I could have been doing things to get ready for the last hour, and I did <laughs> none of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was multitasking while yeah, while, I, while finishing.
1: I uh, was reading yeah, my movie. rock biography of Faith No More, and
0: fantastic. That
1: was it. <laughs> so
0: fantastic! Cool. Oh my gosh! Yep. Oh wait, did you introduce yourself?
1: I'm Scotty Milder. One of your co-hosts.
0: Yes, my name is Amelia Umpuero. I'm your other co-host, and this is the Weirdest Thing Podcast. I don't know if we have any new listeners, but if you're hopping in with the latest episode, this is Scotty and I's podcast where we talk about the weirdest shit we can find on the internet.
1: Or just whatever weird shit we want to talk about.
0: This is true because today's episode is not quite so much
1: weird stuff we found on the internet. I mean, technically it is stuff we found on the internet because we streamed the movies. Yes,
0: and it was inspired. Do we want to just like hop right in? Mm-hmm. So this was actually inspired uh now I'm gonna be the one just vamp for like a bit okay. da, 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 da. Um... <laughs>
1: well, I was gonna say, uh we are recording this, and this is appropriate to our discussion. We are recording this the day after the Oscars, so we're all still reeling from the slap heard round of the world.
0: yes, um. um and I feel like that's all we should say about that.
1: Yeah, I really have nothing to say about it.
0: Yeah. Um, but also, I do want to just put some attention to to the fact that an openly queer Afro-Latina woman won an Oscar last night. She's the first openly queer woman of color to have won an Oscar. Um, she's the, I believe, the second Latina to win mm-hmm. uh, an acting Award. We also had an actor who is deaf win for Best Supporting Actor. A woman won Best Director, Best director the second actor. year in a row. Like some very cool stuff happened uh, amidst all of the, uh, all, like, of the all, all of the this, drama. Yes, all of the other stuff. Um, yeah, I didn't. Also- I didn't
1: watch it I, because I really haven't seen any of the movies. I just don't watch anything anymore. Mm-hmm. So like, I I was like, I could watch it, but then I was kind of like, I want to catch up with these movies, and I'll just spoil them for myself. And- right. Yeah so and
0: i, I mean I was also, I was very upset that, and I knew it was going to happen. A friend that I watched the Oscars with, we've been talking about this for weeks. I really believe that best song should have gone to uh, mm-hmm. Los Jujitas from the movie Encanto. And I was like, it's not going to. It is 100% not going to. It's going to go to the Bond song or it's going to go to the mm-hmm. Beyonce song. And it, went,
1: it went to the Bond song. It right?
0: went to the Bond song, yeah. which it just sounds like every other Bond song that's I mean, ever doesn't Doesn't
1: the Bond song like always With the Oscar
0: Yes And I don't I mean I'm not going to say Anything about the other years Because I don't remember What they are I mean the only
1: Bond song I remember is Live and Let Die Which is Paul McCartney
0: Right Which rocks it died. (laughs) It's going to sneak up on me later. Uh, Sorry. A sneeze died. Uh, That's what was happening there. So yes. So I was very, very sad about that. I knew that there was no effing way that the Academy was going to award an Oscar to a song in Spanish. Like Mm -hmm. I should have known also if I'm wrong on that, if anybody's like they did like best song, like there was a song from some other movie. Awesome. Cool. Mm -hmm. Then maybe yeah, I have,
1: I have no idea. better,
0: but it didn't happen last night. So, anyways, moving on from the Oscars, we are doing a movie episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was inspired by a not a quote, a tweet that I had sent Scotty like a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. that it's from somebody named Lar- well that can't be right Lorraine Newman at Lorraine Newman and the tweet is name a movie that isn't necessarily a horror movie but is most definitely a horror movie <laughs> and this person gives the examples of Vanilla Sky and Requiem for a Dream right. so today Scotty and I are going to talk about horror movies that aren't horror movies but that are absolutely horror movies
1: yeah yeah. Yes. Should I do my standard defining my terms of what I think horror is? <laughs> Cuz it's kind of the it's kind of the lens of how I was looking at both of these movies.
0: Okay, interesting. Sure.
1: Yeah, it, it's my my basic definition of horror is the idea of something irrational invading what should be like a rational world. Hmm. So it's like the world we think we understand is kind of upset by something we can't understand or something unknowable being introduced. That basically makes us like question the foundation of our reality in some way. And it creates a very particular type of dread. So that's how, like, I I was kind of looking at both of these movies, because these were the two movies we had agreed upon. And I was looking at both of these movies with that in mind to see if, like, I thought that applied to either of these movies. And I actually think it does. So I'll kind of talk about that as we get into it.
0: Okay. So the movies that we decided to discuss are the original Manchurian Candidate Mm -hmm. and the movie Whiplash.
1: Yeah. Yeah, good so, good like wildly different pairing yeah. of films that actually watching them kind of back to back, I was like, oh, they have got some weird things in common.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Which one do we, we start... do we want to
1: go back in time and start with yeah, the Manchurian let's, candidate? Yeah,
0: let's do let's do chronological. So let's start with the Manchurian candidate.
2: Allow me to introduce our American visitors. I must ask you to forgive their somewhat lackadaisical manners, but I have conditioned them or brainwashed them, which I understand is the new American word, to believe that they are waiting out a storm in the lobby of a small hotel in New Jersey where a meeting of the Ladies' Garden Club is in progress.
1: Okay, well, um, now it's my turn. You, Vamp.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs>
1: okay, I was just, I, I was bringing up the men, uh, I meant to, again i just didn't fucking prepare at all we're I had so much time to do it um and i just wanted to bring up the wikipedia page for the mentoring candidate mm. just to give a little bit of like a few facts
2: okay. about yeah. the movie
1: so and and full disclosure this is i i have not talked to you about this so i have no, no idea what your Mm -hmm. Uh, opinion of the film was Uh, it's actually one of my all-time favorites it's from 1962 it's described on wikipedia as a neo-noir psychological political thriller about the cold war and sleeper agents Uh, it was written directed or it wasn't written by it was directed by john frankenheimer Mm -hmm. um, who was pretty pretty uh celebrated filmmaker over the years and it was based on the 1959 novel by richard condon Okay. Uh stars Frank Sinatra, Angela Lansbury, that other guy Lawrence Harvey, and interestingly, it what it wasn't banned, but it was pulled from circulation for a while. Really? Yeah, and I'll talk about that. On okay. time. Yeah. Okay. So, should we give By and by the way, I feel like we can be pretty safe in saying that we're going to spoil these movies. Yeah. S- so,
0: <laughs> spoilers abound. So if you if you've been waiting 60 some odd years to watch the Manchurian Candidate and you don't want it to get spoiled or you've been waiting eight years to watch Whiplash, mm-hmm. go ahead and just like hit pause, go watch the, those movies.
1: <laughs> come back. <laughs> we'll come be waiting. Come back to
0: us. Yes, the episode will be waiting. You can eat, watch, you can listen to the other ones as they come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this is not a spoiler free zone.
1: That, yeah, not at all. So at all. Uh, since you had never seen the Manchurian Candidate before, do you want to try and summarize the plot? lot.
0: Sure. Uh, I mean, again, like fully spoiling it. Yeah. Let me see. I need to look at the dude's names. So Frank Sinatra, Lawrence Harvey, and... Who is the other dude? James Edwards. Uh, they're all part of like an army group. It's, mm-hmm. It takes place during the Korean War. Yeah, they're uh, like part of
1: a platoon or yes, whatever. Yes, thank
0: you. Yeah. Um, And basically what happens is they get ambushed and captured by communists Mm -hmm. and then it's really funny because the movie i was watching a trailer for it and the movie was like if you miss the first five minutes of this movie (laughs) you won't know what's going on and i was watching it and i was like okay but like this stuff happens like 14 minutes in so i think that was i've I've seen
1: that trailer too i think that was just they're trying to like piggyback on that that's what alfred Hitchcock did with psycho a couple years before right so they were just trying to like I don't know. do the same get that little hitchcock jeans all over their movie. right so.
0: right 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 oh uh you know speaking of hitchcock also stars janet lee i don't know if you mm, mentioned that right. earlier or not did not but so basically they get kidnapped by communists and they are brainwashed to essentially become like assassins like you yeah. know they winter soldier
1: Mm-hmm. all yeah. these guys no, that's exactly that's exactly what happens <laughs> so
0: they're brainwashed they you know they can get is, is triggered the right word here i don't mm-hmm. think it's is it's yeah but that's i think like, you can say
1: triggered yeah. there's
0: a thing that happens and lawrence harvey is kind of like the main guy he's he's really like the the main like assassin for hire mm-hmm. and basically throughout the movie you come to f- realize frank sinatra and james edwards are having nightmares after they come right. back to the US of being in this weird conference type thing that they remember kind of as like a floral society lecture, but then it it's like, interspersed with moments of clarity where they realize that it's like all these communist leaders and they're all being like they're they're sort of like brainwashed powers are all being like shown off
2: mm-hmm. like,
0: you know, so like, like the evil communists can be like, look at how we have these like, you know, trained killing soldiers like right at our disposal and we can mm-hmm. do all this stuff and a couple of people get <laughs> Get killed in the. <laughs> I am not laughing because people get killed, uh, but it is something we will discuss later on. So Frank Sinatra and James Edwards, they keep like having these nightmares, and they're like, "What is this?" And I don't understand what's going because they have no memory of it. They've they're like mm-hmm. out of the hypnosis brainwash thing. But and you come to find out that what's going on is that Lawrence Harvey is going to be used as a assassin. To kill the presidential nominee, right? So that his vice presidential nominee, Lawrence Harvey's stepfather, mm-hmm. can actually take the role of president. And every, all of the strings are being pulled by Lawrence Harvey's mom, played by the always delightful Angela Lansbury. Right. Played uh, by the,
1: Meryl Streep in the remake.
0: In the that. remake, yes. Yeah. So we've got a very, you know, this is where somebody would make sort of a Scottish play, probably reference to, you know, an evil, an evil woman, power right. hungry and bloodthirsty, right. Lady Macbeth, and, yeah. yeah, type of thing. There's also a couple of weird love stories kind of thrown in there Uh, (laughs) that are sort of love stories yeah 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 (laughs) and uh god this is like the worst synopsis ever and at the end Lawrence Harvey is you know he's he's all in his super soldier mode and he's supposed to do the assassination and at the very end instead he kills his stepfather and his mother before turning the gun on himself and Mm -hmm. therefore bringing the program
1: to, to a close.
0: To a close. Yes. Yeah. And and
1: Frank Sinatra is just kind of trying to like figure it out the whole time and then stop him.
0: Right. Yes. And one
1: thing that we should say just about the Angela Lansbury character, you know, uh, Lawrence Harvey Raymond, uh, yes. his mother and his stepfather, is that they're set up to be like they are ultra right wing. Like he's a yes. senator. They're super uber conservative this would be like back in during the time of like when the John Birch society was like too fucking nutty for the conservatives and were kind of pushed to the fringes and of course now that's basically what's running the Republican party but right uh so it was very much like a commentary on that like that fringe and of course the twist is that actually they're At least Angela Lansbury is a secret communist.
0: Right. And yeah, that's the thing too, right? Is that it's not- She's she's an agent
1: of Stalin or whatever. Yes. They're
0: not actually patriots that she is a raging communist. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, And it's also very clear, like she makes it very clear that like even her husband is- like she's like okay so like once he gets up and then I can be like I'm running the country mm-hmm. like it's very clear that he is a like a straw is a straw man is that the right phrase he's, yeah he's, yeah he's like I in the whole thing. yeah
1: her husband is he's just like a dumb he's just a big dummy like yeah like he's a puppet
0: yes yeah precisely I'm moving my chairs if you hear anything weird over here okay
1: <laughs>
0: so that is my very rough synopsis of the Manchurian Candidate
1: yeah. <laughs> so um like i said this is one of my all-time favorites um now i do think you have to watch it in the context of the time it was made even if you're like trying to like evaluate it as a horror movie Uh it's like you're not gonna watch it today and it's not gonna scare you the way like it follows scares you or like Mm -hmm. you know some modern movie it's it's fucking dated i mean it's from 1962 yes um but I think as like a reflection of the anxieties, the very particular anxieties of that time, right you know this is like right around the time of the cuban missile crisis there's a lot going on within the communist block that we didn't even know about like this is like it's so interesting because it's set up where they're like sort of brainwashed by like generic communists like you got some north Koreans, some chinese some some soviets like all just kind of hanging out together yeah um, and like having this is a like, good time right but <laughs> well, this is around the time of like the sino-soviet split where actually china and the soviet union kind of had a big break And relations Mm. that we didn't Mm. even know about particularly. Mm. So Mm -hmm. to the Western eye, it was just this sort of generalized menace out there. Right. Right. You know, that's what Soviet style Stalinist communism represented. And so it's like just an artifact of that specific anxiety i think mentoring canada is probably like the best example from that time period so that's my kind of take on it (laughs) yeah (laughs) what is what do you i mean what do you think i'm getting the impression you maybe weren't a super huge fan
0: it's okay so real talk it is very difficult for me to watch and like release into old movies Mm -hmm. um because there's a lot of acting stuff that i just can't (laughs) I knew that would can't jive with. Um, And additionally, this is and it it was interesting because I was actually talking to my mom about this, and I was saying that like I had a similar reaction to uh, Rosemary's Baby, even though that's you know later a little bit later. Yeah, I also had a similar reaction to The Exorcist, and that I was like the story. If I Mm -hmm. was reading a story about this, yes, is very scary, but there is. I think the thing that like made me go about it is that like for me, the first time I saw Angela Lansbury, I was like, okay, well, she's clearly evil. Like she's clearly <laughs> fucking up to something. Yeah. So when it turns out that she actually Mm. knows how to, you know, flip that switch within her son, I was like, well, yeah, like, of course she, like, I've been Mm. seeing that coming the entire time. Right. So that's hard for me. Having said that, I agree with everything that you're saying in terms of like in the time period and all those things. And there's also stuff just like, you know. Watching Frank Sinatra fight is a little odd.
1: Um, <laughs> I mean, I just, every time I watch it, I'm just distracted by his like constant sweaty upper lip. He's Like throughout the movie. Right.
0: And there was also there. Yeah. I think that was my, I think ultimately my main takeaway is that there were a lot of things I found myself distracted by. There's also a scene when Frank Sinatra is talking to Raymond. Is that his name? The character's mm-hmm. name. And you know, they're cutting back and forth between Frank Sinatra and Lawrence Harvey. And Lawrence Harvey is like in crystal clear, nice and sharp. But then when they cut back to Frank Sinatra, like Sinatra's shoulders are in focus, but his face is blurry. And I was like, This is a mm-hmm. long scene. Like <laughs> this is the best take. Yeah. Got- okay. Okay. So it's Yeah, like,
1: I, I know. God. And I and that's one of those shots where I've always been like, Was that intentional?
0: Yeah.
2: Um,
1: Because it's like, it doesn't quite look like a stylistic choice, Mm so who knows. But that is actually something weird that happens. This is just a general aside. Sometimes mm-hmm. with classic movies that have been like had the HD upgrade is like flaws in the original film stock all of a sudden that were maybe not obvious at the time or suddenly like oops ooh, can't work around that
0: super yeah so that, super I don't obvious. know if that's
1: what happened there but that could be
0: <laughs> that would make sense yeah. and it's it's interesting to me as well because this isn't something that I'm like oh I can't be scared by mm-hmm. you know and I don't need like you know I don't need a bunch of jump scares and stuff for things to be scary because I watched you know i've watched psycho a lot that movie traumatized me mm-hmm. i thought psycho was super scary really messed me up and it is you know of a of a similar time period that um, 2
1: years earlier yeah
0: yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. I still, I think, land on the thing that, like, yes, I think it is. A, I think it's a horror movie that is like not a horror movie that is actually a horror movie.
2: Mm-hmm. But I don't it's, know that
0: I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: it's just. I mean, we are like we are distant from that. Yeah. Um, like even us as '80s kids, where we kind of remember the Soviet Union. Like mm-hmm. even in the '80s, it kind of felt like the Soviet Union was on its last legs, and you know we were. Around during the time of like Glasnost and, you know, Gorbachev trying to liberalize everything. And yes, we we do not have the context that like our parents would have for like what it was like to live in 1962. This is also you got to keep in mind. This is right after the Red Scare. This yeah. is right around the time of like the HUAC meetings. This is right before Kennedy is assassinated. So yes. it's like this is a movie that's about a time where like the world order that Americans had been made to feel comfortable about probably at least for the per- previous 20 years. Uh-huh. You know, maybe since World War 2. <sighs> Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> finally made its way up.
0: Yeah, it out. Yeah.
1: Um this is where I say it's like the irrational invading a rational world. Yeah. Like we had this idea, you know, this 1950s idea that obviously, as we've talked about, was sort of phony and a lot of phony nostalgia and stuff. But there was this 1950s nuclear family, leave it to beaver image right. that America wanted to have. But meanwhile, we had this contrast of the Soviet Union. And right. to me, the Soviet Union, the way it's depicted is almost as like a supernatural force. Uh, it's just I mean- like evil. Evil from over there
0: 100 it is absolutely you know to boot it's also not like two guys in a room like it's it's mm-hmm. like a teaching theater full of right you know communist leaders so it's 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 absolutely this you know again it's not like people who have decided on like a different governing structure than the united states it's <laughs> like evil baby eater it like reminds me man. of super evil
1: do you remember the movie the naked gun from the yes. 90s yes. <laughs> do you remember like the opening scene where it's like all the like 80s idea of like evil people are like gathered in a room right. like a conference room and it was like Gaddafi and arafat yes. and like some yes. random soviet and like you know just like people who would, were not allies would not be hanging out together plotting their evil world domination and then of course leslie nielsen bursts in and beats them up and it's super silly like this is the not intentionally funny version of that although i do think it's important to point out like the original novel was definitely considered a satire And there are elements of the movie that are, it's not meant to be taken as literal and seriously as you might think. Okay. Like some of the stuff that might seem a little ridiculous now actually was meant to be a little ridiculous.
2: Interesting. And so
1: I think the whole brainwashing scene, which cuts between the ladies tea time, floral society or whatever. Yeah. And then the real truth of it, which is it's these like evil communists. I mean, it's meant to be a little like a little absurd. Absurd. Yeah, you know, it, it like this is one of those movies that kind of walks that line between where humor yeah. and I guess you would say horror kind of like crossover a little bit.
0: Right.
1: So, yeah. So that's just like the context of the time where I think the horror for me, the stuff that actually like still hits me uh-huh. as horror uh-huh. is the stuff around the Angela Lansbury character.
0: Interesting. So
1: it was interesting to me that like that sounds like the lack of surprise really didn't work for you. Uh huh. <laughs> because <laughs> you're right she's like she sucks from the start like yeah and i she's mean like look, the worst
0: <laughs> i think i think the thing too is that it's a little bit like my beef with scotty has heard this a lot but it's a little bit of my beef with most productions of streetcar named desire where mm-hmm. i feel like the script says that we should be building to a reveal of blanche being out of her mind
2: Mhm.
0: And yet every time I see it done, every actor who plays that role comes in and you're like, this bitch is out of her mind. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, it's telegraphing it so hard that when the reveal happens, it's like, well, yeah, like, right. Knew that.
1: But here's my thing is that okay. I don't, I don't think it's about the reveal. Okay. I think the fact that we know she's evil, we don't necessarily, like, I think the first time I saw it when I was probably in high school, Uh I was maybe surprised that she was the handler. She was like the communist.
2: Right. But I knew
1: that she was evil and toxic. And I knew that Raymond couldn't get out from under her thumb. Uh And like every opportunity he had for happiness, she just squashed. Yeah. And so to me, the horror is, again, it's like the rational world that should make sense for us is the idea of family. Family should be a safe space. Mm -hmm. And here's this guy who's. Mother is a literal psychopath who has her thumb on him (laughs) and he can't escape her. And it's just watching a mother make every choice possible to ruin her son's life because she doesn't care. Like that brings some of that horror dread to me that frankly i think like to me this movie kind of rhymes a little bit with psycho which came out a little bit before there's mm-hmm. definitely a norman bates mother
0: interest aspect
1: Interesting. to Interesting. raymond and his mother in this movie
0: Interesting. so i don't
1: i don't think you know it's the whole it's the whole classic hitchcock thing about su- surprise versus suspense where right so the surprise is you see two people sitting uh having a nice conversation at like uh a, a, a you know a dining room table and then a bomb under the table explodes and oh my god that was a big surprise right suspense is you know the bomb is under the table they don't and you're waiting for the bomb to explode right and so to me like her psychopathy which is obvious from the start and his inability to to separate himself from it that's the bomb under the table to right me. and so I didn't need, I personally didn't need that surprise. Like the reveal was kind of like, okay, all right. Now we now it's confirmed what we already sort of knew
2: about her.
0: Right. Well, I think this brings up an interesting thing about like the subjectivity of horror, right? Because you and I have yeah. also talked about how you don't care. Now I'm not remembering. I can't remember if it's that you don't care for or if it's that you don't think Poltergeist is scary.
1: I don't think Poltergeist is scary.
0: And that is a thing yeah. that I'm like, that movie is terrifying Mm -hmm. to me and I think so much of what you find scary and I don't mean like you Scotty I mean like you humans people Mm -hmm. everyone listeners everywhere is based so much on the things that the things that make you feel safe and the things Mm -hmm. that are safe to you and those things being like
1: violated
0: yeah and perverted Mm -hmm. Um, which is interesting to me as well because like my mother is absolutely a safe space to me (laughs) So yeah. it's kind of funny that I'm like, <laughs> I'm not, I mean, it's like, I, maybe it's just so far out of the realm of possibility but that my mom would be like, I, I know your family it. well
1: enough to know that your <laughs> family dynamic has nothing in common with Raymond's yeah. family dynamic with his mother, <laughs> where they are like, stick up their ass, waspy conservatives, Very and true. you guys are not
0: that and we so, are not like, yeah <laughs> and we are not absolutely absolutely and you know not. and
1: i'm not you know the same with my family i don't think it's necessarily like Like the thing that it's not that it's literally calls to mind, like the family dynamic, but it's, I am someone who has had people that I trusted learn later that you can't trust them, that they had another agenda. And so it doesn't have to be a mother son thing. It, It can be anything, but for me, like watching the woman who is supposed to love him and protect him, do everything she can to destroy him is horrifying. And it, it is date. I mean, it's it's a dated film. It's like, you know, it's not gonna hit you the way like a modern film does. But that part, that aspect of it, along with some of the the Cold War stuff, I think also me just being from Los Alamos, mm. like that Cold War stuff is a little more present in my
0: and that's, soul. that's- <laughs> That's the thing is that, again, I think, uh, you know, I mean, it might just be something that I'm just like uh, my my like inexperience with older movies Mm -hmm. might help because I feel like, again, I feel like if I was reading if I was reading the book, I probably would have been like, oh. Mm You know what I mean? Like, I think it's, I think the plot is terrifying, especially for Frank Sinatra's character and Jamie Edward's characters where they're like, we know that things aren't what they seem. And like, we don't know exactly what's happening. It's very
1: much, if you've seen the movie, it's from the early nineties, Jacob's Mm Ladder. It's very much like, particularly the Ben Marco arc, which is Frank Sinatra's character. Like Mm -hmm. that's very much of a piece with something like Jacob's Ladder, where it's Mm like, you know, where, Whereas like Raymond's mother manipulated, like she's supposed to be his safe space and she destroys him. For someone like Ben Marco, it's like he joined the military. The army is supposed to like be your... I mean, it's weird to say the armies are safe space, but you should at least like know what the parameters are of what's expected. Well, of and I
0: think at that time, especially it was like, you know, it was, it was a band of brothers. It was like, you know, they mm-hmm. had your back and, and to have that going, turned against yeah, you. Yeah. Yes. You were going into dangerous situations with people who you were supposed to be able to trust with your life. And then knowing that one of them is like a a secret double agent assassin. Mm. Yeah. And also not
1: knowing that you might be a secret double agent assassin. Like something was, that's the other, like back to like the whole MK ultra thing right like the idea that like something was done to my brain and now my own brain might be the enemy right well like and that. i think
0: yeah i think those themes are the things that make a movie like vanilla sky mm-hmm. uh, which was you know again mentioned in the original tweet that inspires this, this is,
1: whole episode this is a very good movie by the way i like
0: that movie and that movie scares the ever loving shit out of me because mm. of the thing. And it's a little bit too, why I never super got on like the matrix train because I was like, <laughs> I don't want to fucking know if this is a fake reality. Mm-hmm. Like if this is a fake reality and I'm actually attached to some, I'm in a like, you know, um, I was about to say crypto, <laughs> but that's not what I'm <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. Like a cryo pod, like a cryogenic pod or i'm mm-hmm. like you know hooked up to some alien mainframe i don't want to know mm-hmm. i don't want to know i'm happy i have my podcast with my friend <laughs> and my dog like i can eat pizza like i'm fucking happy living in this simulation yeah. I like you're you're not pilled.
1: yeah i was gonna say you're not gonna take the red pill
0: no yeah. like I, I don't think i, I would just <laughs> slap that out of the get the got to hear with that. Like I'm fine. (laughs) Uh, So that kind of stuff. Yes. 100%. I can tap into the like Mm -hmm. dread. Like you were talking about of like, you know, is this all like, is this, am I real? Like, Mm -hmm. what is this? That's a, it gives me existential dread. Yeah. To to ponder those things.
1: Yeah, but I I can understand. And like, I'm not surprised by your reaction because I kind of know how you are sometimes with old movies. And like, I thought that might be like a a barrier for you with this one. Yeah. Um, But like I said, even, you know, like I I can watch and love a lot of old horror movies for what they are. Like, I love Bride of Frankenstein. Mm. It doesn't like hit my reptile brain nerve centers and scary.
0: Right. Right.
1: You know, even a movie like Psycho doesn't really hit my nerve centers you know but it doesn't make them any less horror movies obviously um and and i think to me it's like i don't want i don't watch venturing candidate and it doesn't keep me up at night like having right i don't wake up in a cold sweat being like oh my god am i ben marco you know
0: frank sinatra (laughs) Ah! (laughs) yeah Ah!
1: doesn't doesn't happen but it's fascinating like like i said the angela lansbury Lawrence Harvey stuff does kind of get under my skin a little bit and the and it's just fascinating to imagine how this movie would have landed with audiences of that time yes which is definitely going to be a different experience than you or I could ever have
0: Right. Because I mean, if we think about it, when is when is HUAC happening? When is that? Is that was
1: a little earlier?
0: Right. So but that's happening. And people are like, oh, my God, like, who's a communist? Who's a communist? Again, right. it's seen as this like big, bad um, well, movie stars and stuff are getting hauled in and questioned about whether or not they're communists. And I can see that like pondering the thing of like, oh, my God, could I secretly be a communist and not know it? even though now with present day sensibilities, that's a little funny because you're like, okay. I'm
1: like, <laughs> yeah. No, no. You're but, but this feminist, was like, but... we were trying to do the opposite with MK ultra. So like, this right. was a thing that was actually, and they certainly, you know, in the, you know, Stalinist Russia and North Korea, they were also playing with like mind control experiments and stuff. Right. So I, the thing is, I don't know that any of it was all that successful, but it was like, you know, it was a genuine fear that people had. And I think like, like you said, you're talking about the Thing and and uh, the you know this is like around the time maybe a little bit after the blacklist yes and it's like important like the the senator. Uh, Raymond's stepfather. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's constantly being like, I
0: have a list of 157 card <laughs> carrying communists. You know? Right. Yes. So, I mean, James, James Gregory is Senator. Yeah. Uh, what is his name? It's Senator like John John Yerkes Eisling. Isling. That's what it is. Isling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that was very much, I mean, I think for us, that does feel like ancient history. For someone in 1962, this was like on your fucking TV a week ago. You know, This was,
0: yes, 100%. And this was something that I thought was interesting. And I I didn't quite grasp what the purpose of this was. But speaking about Senator John Isling, every time you saw him, you know, like as a senator, you know, when he's on TV and he's like doing his senator things or whatever, he's very like, like you were saying, sort of like hellfire and damnation. I I have a list and all that stuff. (laughs) And, And when you see him like in real life, he's like kind of a clown right yeah like he's kind of a i don't want to say a dope because it's not pretty dopey but it's he's he's like not serious at all and he's like you know kind of no
1: well he's he's the josh holly of his day like (laughs) he's a guy who who like doesn't give a fuck has no principles and is just like i'll just say whatever to get on tv to get you know yeah.
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Felt real like, and it was it was interesting to see that like the actor and the director were making a conscious choice to have mm-hmm. a clear contrast between his oh, yeah. public persona and his private persona.
2: Right, and I, and I like of I said I couldn't,
0: I couldn't
1: to... quite grasp that. Well, and I think some of that is I mean I think it's a comment on like American politics.
2: Mm. Like
1: the buffoonery that we're seeing in American politics today is mm-hmm. not new. It is not um, it is also and I and only get into like some of the weird politics of the movie. Okay. <laughs> um, but like I think it is also like that contrast is meant to show that he is the puppet and to really like play into the Lady Macbeth aspect of Angela Lansbury as right. the puppet master, you know. Right. I think it should be noted, like one one criticism the movie had, and I think it's fair, but I also think, keep in mind the time period, Right, is it has been, I have seen it being accused of being misogynistic because really the only two female, well, there's three. There's, yeah, there's Janet Lee's character who's pretty inscrutable. And there's a lot of like <laughs> theories about what is she an is like, is she an asset of the Soviets? Because she has that really weird conversation with Frank Sinatra on the train that is almost oh like the talking God. code.
0: Yeah, I was like, what's happening here
1: it's super weird and then it's never brought up again and i think that's just meant to be a little destabilizing and meant to make you never quite trust her character and then of course you have angela lansbury who is like Mm -hmm. the quintessential evil mother yes then you have i'm I'm forgetting her name but the girl that raymond was in love with
0: character's name is josie josie um and i'll look up because i've got the imdb page i'll pull her up right now oh shit she's like is she even on here oh i was like is she is she alice allen who's just credited as woman but that's not <laughs> <laughs> leslie parish as okay. uh jocelyn aka josie jordan
1: right and like you know she's sort of like i mean what is it raymond is always saying about her it's like she's lovely you know the whole thing was just so lovely and lovable you know
0: oh uh, yeah that i think like quick sidebar about that that i think that was i mean I did not enjoy his acting choices, but that was the thing that actually, you know, like Scotty, you and I have been mm-hmm. talking a lot about, like masculinity mm-hmm. and and all of that stuff recently. And it was one of those things that I'm like, I, I almost wish that like I could get behind this dude's acting because so much of it was he was just like he's got that whole thing where he was like, and she was lovely, and I was loved, and I could love like all of this stuff about how he had found this safe space with this girl that is then corrupted by his mother, mm-hmm. um, and it's so. I think that's the other that's the other funny thing too is that like the main character what's his name again? Harvey? Raymond. Look. Raymond. Raymond uh, Shaw. There's a, a whole thing about there's a line that when anybody asks them when anybody asks any of the the platoon what is Raymond Shaw like? They're like Raymond Shaw is the nicest, kindest, warmest man you've ever met. or so. It's some mm-hmm. line. It's like, like some that.
1: clearly implanted line.
0: Right. Because, because
1: they even say they're like we don't like him. Why do we yeah. keep saying this?
0: Yes. Yeah. The, and like he is not like the guy is cold and hard. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, that is like, that was a moment that I was like, God, this guy is getting like, you know, is getting love and learning to be, learning how to love and be loved by this thing. And then, you know, it goes on to be corrupted by his mother and her plan for world domination. But yeah, I just, it's one of those things where I was like, I like, I'm, I'm jiving with the script here, but like, oh, this, I can't with this guy's.
1: Yeah. Well it is. And again, I, I actually like his, perform- I don't particularly like Sinatra's performance in this movie. It's pretty histrionic <laughs> and, yeah. and sweaty upper lip acting. Like that's and basically what he brings to the table.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's, 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 <laughs> It's real, um, like, Sinatra, but not in a a way that works.
1: No, it really doesn't. Janet Lee is fine, but, like, she doesn't have a lot to do. Uh I actually think Angela Lansbury is pretty excellent. And I actually like Lawrence Harvey's performance as Raymond. But, again, in the context of the acting styles of the time, it doesn't work. Like, it is not a modern performance. Because it's, like, it's that fakey, fake, mid-Atlantic accent that you always had in movies back then. And, you know, it... It feels wooden by today's standards, but I think if you can kind of get on the movie's wavelength, yeah, I think it works. But I can I can understand what you're saying too. Yeah, you know? yeah, doesn't surprise me that that didn't entirely work for you.
0: Yeah, it it left me it left a little to be desired. Mm-hmm. But like I said, most most old movies do mm-hmm. for me. Uh, yeah. You know, so there's one movie
1: I want to make you watch at some point, just because I'm really curious how you'll (laughs) react to the acting
0: Uh
1: is uh, on the waterfront. Because it's often held up as like, this is one of the first examples of like modern acting in a film. Mm,
0: Interesting. And it's
1: Brando and Rod Steiger. And, you know, I'd, I'd be really curious if. Because for me, I'm like, oh, for the time period, it feels actually pretty modern. Uh But I'd be curious from your sensibility as someone who studies acting and is more like sensitive to bad acting choices, (laughs) (laughs) what what you would make of that film.
0: Right. I want to be clear here because 1962, I mean, you know, Hollywood started in the 1910s right? Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like their movies have been happening, but like Hollywood, you know, was around, was was around that area. It was in the 1910s. Yeah. Right. And like, I think it is, it is worth noting that I think it took a bit for actors to adjust to the new medium. Mm -hmm. because I think that that's so much of what I see is that I'm like, I bet if I was in a park that was, or if I was in like a 4,000 seat auditorium, I bet this would play like gangbusters. Mm -hmm. But you know, so much of what's going on with, there is a difference between film acting and, and Mm -hmm. theater acting. The parameters of film acting are much, much, much smaller. It's Mm -hmm. much closer and a lot more can be said with a lot less. Right. And so that's usually what I find is that I like, it's, it's that kind of. But and i'm like, like I play great in like a, a multi-hundred seat yeah
1: <laughs> and i feel like like angela lansbury gives a performance that works up close lawrence harvey gives i think a pretty good performance but it does feel like a stage performance in a lot of ways yes frank sinatra like just being sweaty you know frank like, sinatra
0: is like when he's trying real hard i drink
1: again yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. when can
0: we cut So that I can drink and go bone an actress again.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that's exactly what's going on. But I think like, it's so interesting to me, like looking at movies from this time period, which is kind of the end of like the golden age. It's like the end of the studio system, Mm -hmm. just less than a decade later, as you get Bonnie and Clyde, Rosemary's Baby, the new Hollywood starts in the late sixties. And it's like acting completely uh, acting on film completely changed like yeah it was like the way nirvana got rid of hair metal you know like (laughs) i mean it was just like overnight
0: yeah. 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 yeah so. It's interesting. It's I'm, I'm reading a book right now called the star machine, which is super interesting, but I did not realize that it's a fucking tome. <laughs> um, it's it's hold on. It's like a thousand some odd pages. And I really did not realize this when I picked it up. <laughs> and it's really interesting because it's kind of going in depth to like what the Hollywood star machine was and how mm-hmm. like very little of it had to do with acting. During like you know, it in the really decade, yeah. like in early Hollywood and leading up to and through the golden age, is that it was like, Do you look good? Do you have something that makes you watchable? And if it's
1: stock yeah, and know. if
0: it's not acting talent, like are are, are you, what is you just look real good on film? Are you right charming? Do you have like a nice personality that like sparkles through on film? Mm-hmm. And it was the star machine is an apt title, not just for the book, but for that whole thing, because Mm -hmm. it really was about like, what are you going to do? That's going to get butts in seats and money in our pockets. And Mm -hmm. like, that
1: was it. And what's interesting is Lawrence Harvey, like if you know about his, who plays Raymond, mm-hmm. um, he like famously, he got a little chewed up by that system. You know, he was, a, I think he was a London stage actor and he never quite comfortably made the transition to film. And there was, sounds like he was a very difficult person. And I, th- I believe mm. he was an alcoholic and died. Mm. I know he died young, but you know, you see like some people, it just, they, they couldn't, they couldn't survive that.
2: Yeah. You know?
1: And then you have like a Frank Sinatra who I, mean, I don't want to take anything away from Frank Sinatra as a singer, but like they were doing it with Elvis Presley too. Like, let's throw this guy in movies. And I was like, these guys weren't actors. Like if you ever watch Elvis Presley in a movie, you, I mean, it's like watching Frank Sinatra in a movie. It's like, it was okay. I mean, it's fine, I guess.
0: Right. You know? Right. And I think, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's an interesting thing to sort of look at the star machine now, because the thing is, is that you no longer have to be mm-hmm. an actor to reach that level of fame the entire kardashian clan oh yeah they're probably some of the most famous people in the world and not an actor among them.
2: Right, you know exactly. I mean? um, yeah.
0: And the advent of social media has allowed a whole new platform for everybody who had the things that the star machine was really like mm-hmm. the the things that they were like tweaking and, you know, working behind the scenes to
2: mm-hmm. push
0: up to the front that no longer has to happen. Like, you know, it'd no. be in a movie to do that. You. Can- I
1: remember when this is kind of before the whole Instagram social media thing, but like there was a while there where they were just taking like cast members from the real world and trying to turn them into actors, like uh, like I remember that, like yeah. what was her name? Trishel was in some movies, and like oh my god, you know, and it's just like I mean it felt like the end of civilization at the time, but then it's like we didn't even see what was over the horizon with like Instagram influencers right, and
0: stuff, right? Right, right, and like <laughs> yeah. TikTokers who are now starring in remakes of right. that came out when we were in, you know, high school and early college. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to be rude, but like some of these people can barely walk and talk at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is like they don't need to. No. They can just be on TikTok. Yeah. And make a you know, a shit ton of sponsored posts and you know, (laughs) sell their laxative teas and 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 like just do that. But it's Mm -hmm. always funny to me that there's some nuts who's like, uh should we put Addison Ray in a movie? And then Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of other nuts that are like, um yes. Yeah. And it's like fucking (laughs)
1: license to print money right there.
0: Yeah, Yeah. sure. I guess, you know, and it's like
1: I mean, you know, and that's like they did it with Kelly Clarkson in that fucking movie that they stuck her in. <laughs> Poor thing. Um, she's doing fine
0: now. <laughs> she's doing. She's doing really great. Yeah. Uh, she. Yeah. She's doing fine. And oh I goodness. think it
1: is interesting. I hadn't thought about this in relation to mentoring candidate. We should wrap this up here in a second. But yeah. Like you see again. Don't want to take anything away from Janet Lee, but like she's not driving the movie. You have really three actors driving this movie. It's Angela Lansbury, Lawrence Harvey, and Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. And you kind of see the levels there because you have Angela Lansbury who is like fucking. St- stage actor supreme broadway Mm -hmm. and she's fucking i'm sorry she's fucking bringing it in this movie like she's fantastic
0: yeah she's working for her supper
1: yeah she's doing exactly what is called for it's so mm. fascinating because obviously our generation we think of her as like murder she wrote you know like jessica mrs. fletcher potts. yeah mrs potts and seeing her as this cold-hearted psychopath yeah it's fascinating and then you have Lawrence harvey who it's like it's not quite working for him you know and like i sort of like his performance but you do see that you feel the strain mm-hmm. there in a way you don't with angela lansbury and then you have frank sinatra who's just like sweaty and like glowers a lot
0: yeah it I don't want to say that it feels like Frank Sinatra is just showing up for his paycheck because I I don't know that it was that I mean he's
1: doing stuff you know he's
0: doing I think it's it's just like um, he tried yeah and you know maybe against you know the tough thing about watching theater actors who have really grasped The nuance of film acting is that it's always going to be a little bit like watching Michael Jordan play a bunch of seventh graders in Mm -hmm. a pickup game. Like it's always going to be like, one of these things is is not not like like the the others and it's noticeable.
1: Yeah. And that's what you got with Angela Lansbury. I mean, there's a lot I love about this movie, but it's really mostly boils down to Angela Lansbury's character for me. Yeah. I mean, Um, she,
0: she, she really, really is. Like I said, she's, she's working for her supper. um, uh, yeah. And she's she's chewing up scenery in the best possible way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So before
1: before we move on, do you want to hear just a little bit of trivia about this film? Yes, I do. So this came out in 1962. Uh-huh. Uh, Frank Sinatra was super good friends with John F. Kennedy.
0: Yes. A year of-
1: later, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Yes, the movie was pulled from circulation for a while and and so it's like often you you'll see it on list of like banned films and it's like you know the movie that was too like real for the 1960s and it's like no frank sinatra basically leaned on them to pull the film because it was like this isn't bad taste after my friend just got shot because this is a movie about a political assassination
0: yeah and he's not wrong
1: And he's not wrong. And I think even like, you know, the people who made the movie, I mean, even like John Frankenheimer were like, yeah, let's let's sit on this movie for a bit. And then and then, of course, it's re-released and it's it's considered a classic now. But it it was not a band film, but it was Sinatra did basically kind of use his pole to just put it on the shelf for a minute.
0: Right, so. right. Also do you just want to that there is in fact some yellow face in this movie.
2: There is, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Happening by uh, um unfortunately the actor Henry Silva who plays Chunjin Mm chunjin i saw differing things that it was like he's spanish but then i think it was said like on his birth certificate that he was born in he was born in puerto rico but it's born it's written on the birth certificate as porto like Mm p-o-r-t-o rico r-i-c-o yep doing some yellow face i
1: pulled i just pulled him up on uh wikipedia it says born in brooklyn new york of sicilian and spanish descent yes you know there you go there you go Um, yeah well that was I'm glad you I meant to bring that up because that's when I was talking about some of the weird politics of the movie yeah I I can understand I don't I don't necessarily agree but I can understand the criticism of the film being sexist because none of the women in the film are all that psychologically realized except for maybe Angela Lansbury but she's like
0: and a even psychopath. yeah, and so, even like, then, it's not like like I'm a communist and I'm doing this because it's just like I'm a communist and I'm doing this.
1: Well, and I, and again, that gets back to this idea of the unknowable, irrational evil force that creates the dread. Because right. it's like if she had a motivation that we really could understand, it kind of takes it out of the realm hmm. of horror. She's still a terrible person, right? But the fact that she's just kind of being a monster, yeah for no reason that we can fathom right, is like it creates that's part of what creates that sense of dread to me it makes her like a dracula type character yeah um also part of the anti-cold war, or the cold war fears of the time you know obviously we were terrified of the soviet union but we were also real scared of china and north korea and and what was going on in vietnam so like the movie is uncomfortable aside from just the yellow face that you pointed out yeah It's a little uncomfortable by today's standards because really the only depiction of Asian people is that they're evil, unknowable communists. Right. You know, and that's, that is unfortunate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's an interesting choice to be like, well, we could do it that they're like, we could just like hardcore stick with Russians Mm -hmm. or we could have them be like chinese and north korean like (laughs) we could do that
1: for for, (laughs) for the time period i mean it almost had to incorporate north korea because it like the korean war is the backdrop yes but you know i think if you were to do a remake of this film set Mm -hmm. it during the original time period as opposed to what they did in the remake which was make it like a gulf war thing which kind of didn't work um Mm -hmm. like the remake's kind of like a gulf war anti-corporate thing Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but if you were to do a remake in 2022 set during the cold war like a faithful remake i would hope that you would put a little more thought into maybe creating some nuance there yeah that doesn't exist in the existing film this is the danger with horror because horror so much depends on the fear of the other right when the other becomes other groups of people
0: Mm -hmm. this is when
1: you end up in like racist hp lovecraft territory
0: Right, right, right. right, And which is something that I think the next movie that we're going to talk about actually does kind of brilliantly.
1: Yeah. Should we move on? It's a good segue. Yeah, let's move on. (laughs) All right. So whiplash.
0: Whiplash. My ears are fine. We
1: definitely have an out of tune player. Whoever it is, this is your last chance. And there it went. Now, either you are deliberately playing out of tune and sabotaging my band or you don't know you're out of tune which i'm afraid is even worse all right uh, you did the last synopsis yes. should i do this one
0: yes you should
1: okay so the movie uh came out in 2014 written i believe and directed by damien chazelle mm-hmm. um it's about uh, young I guess he's supposed to be like 19 Mm -hmm.
2: music student at
1: what the Schaefer College of Music in New York. It's Mm -hmm. considered like the best music school in the country. Mm -hmm. He's a jazz drummer. He's like an aspiring jazz drummer played, of course, by Miles Teller. Yes. He opens up with him practicing furiously. And then the guru of the school, the guy who runs what's called studio band. Mm hmm a guy named Terrence, uh, is it Terrence Fletcher? Yes. I think is his name. Played by J.K. Simmons. Sort of wanders in, overhears him practicing, and then brings him into studio band. Mm-hmm. And then it's about the psychological terror wrought upon the Miles Teller character by this band leader who? Well, I'll, I'll put a pin in it. We'll get to it. But yes. Um, but it, it, I mean, it's, it's essentially about abuse in an academic environment.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And the way that the promise of greatness is and can be perverted, mm-hmm. um, especially for, quote unquote, soft skills. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's, I think uh, something that's interesting about Whiplash is like, this could just as easily have been a movie about sports. It could have just as easily been a movie about any other kind of creative art form. Uh, it, It fits into that really well because everything is done under the banner of achieving greatness.
1: Right. Well, and it's so interesting because like we've had stories about, be, you know, the greatest sports heroes of all time or mm-hmm. the greatest, like you have movies all the time, like American Sniper about, you know, the greatest soldiers and, you know, right. John Wayne on Battle of Yvijima or whatever, you know, but there's something about like the greatest in like an artistic medium
2: mm-hmm.
1: that gets really fraught because it's like, again, this is the day after the Oscars, but like, how do you quantify greatness in a subjective realm? Like right, this. right. And who gets to decide who is or is not great? Who gets to decide what is greatness? And what will you do to please that person? Right,
0: know? right. And we're also at a time when across the board in sports and the arts in in a lot of these, you know, like I said, these soft skills, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because I don't. I mean, I'm sure there is somebody out there who's like, I am going to fucking be the greatest computer programmer in the mm-hmm. history, like 100% and like yeah, Godspeed to those people. But we're also in a reckoning right now where we are lifting up the rock of the quest for greatness and seeing that what is underneath is crawling with rottenness mm-hmm. um and and is is creating space it's, for people to be abused and misused and exploited yeah it's
1: interesting thinking of whiplash in like the context of like a post me too world because mm-hmm. obviously this movie came out a little bit before me too mm-hmm. um but watching it like watching it like post Harvey Weinstein
0: mm-hmm. I think also it, watching it post patient A. I'm sorry athlete A. Mm, yeah. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, hearing about that uh, and understanding the horrific abuse that a lot of gymnasts and other athletes Mm -hmm. experienced uh, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Whiplash doesn't directly get into sexual abuse, except for maybe in the language that's used, Um, but it's no less it's, it's operating on the same kind of psychological dangling of the carrot. Mm-hmm. that you know Weinstein was doing you know? right
0: yeah and it is um, uh, so for me Whiplash is I think 100% a horror movie that is not mm. a horror movie that is actually mm-hmm. a horror movie <laughs> yeah um it is uh agreed I think it's it's you know if you take a movie like The Invisible Man which may have been one of the last movies that I saw in a theater before the pandemic happened do you remember you that and I went the... to go watch this movie
1: yeah it was the um uh Um, I'm Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Blumhouse film.
0: Right, which is, you know, very clearly a, a movie about an abusive relationship. And mm-hmm. and it's that. It's very clearly a movie about an abusive relationship. I actually think that Whiplash, I, I actually think Whiplash is more successful in doing oh, yeah. the thing of like showcasing that there are people like that out there and that there are mm-hmm. boogeymen who are actually just human and, beings. And
1: he is and he is a boogeyman. And so like back to my whole definition of horror, you know, it's the irrational, invading a rational space, creating right. a sense of dread. Like the rational space. Space here is that there should be you know a particular set of skills that you learn markers that you achieve mm. to like you start off as a first year drummer and then you work your way into this band and then you work your way up in the studio band and you kind of just dis- distinguish yourself and you know obviously you know you're gonna have teachers that push you but they're pushing you for the right reasons and all this stuff like there's there's a particular path that should exist right what happens when you get on that path and it's just a minefield and there's nothing at the end of that path except for like an abyss of someone else's narcissism right and like the thing about Terrence fletcher i think as a character is he is hannibal lecter like he is the charming semi-demonic <laughs> <laughs> uh uh-huh. figure that's always going to be a little smarter than you he's always going to mm-hmm. be like a little bit like ahead of the curve from mm-hmm. you and who is going to do everything he can, kind of like Angela Lansbury, Mm -hmm. to destroy you for reasons that you will never understand.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think what's interesting about this to to me and as as somebody who has suffered for her art, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think what's interesting about this movie to me is that it's, he is that good. Like Terrence Mm -hmm. Fletcher is that good. It's one of those things where it's like, God, this guy's a a, this guy's a monster, and he's abusive, and like everything is a mind fuck. And also, he is that good.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I also think the movie is a really, really. I think it's. I think at the end of the day, Whiplash is a horror movie about how hurt people hurt people.
2: Mm -hmm. But
1: what's interesting, like I think if the movie had really got into what the source of Fletcher's hurt was and really Mm -hmm. tried to psychologize him, it would have taken it somewhat out of the realm of horror. Right. He tells this story about the guy and I looked up the story to see if it was a true story. Joe Jones Mm -hmm. throwing the symbol at uh, Charlie Parker's head and it's like Uh that moment is what turned him into bird. And you know, what is it Fletcher says? It's like the worst two words in the English language are good job, you know? And so it's like Someone did this to him at some point, right? But if if that was like just spelled out for us, it's like this is why he's doing what he's doing. Mm -hmm. You know, makes it a psychological study of a damaged person, but not really having that information to me turns him into Hannibal Lecter, right? because the, the thing is, like, Silence of the Lambs. I know in the like the later books and stuff, they explain Hannibal Lecter and everything. But in the Silence of the Lambs, you don't understand where the fuck this guy came from. How can this guy even exist?
0: Right. And
1: and that, on, and on its own, is destabilizing. And I had the same feeling about Terrence Fletcher in this film that I did about Hannibal Lecter back in right. 1991 whenever I watched that movie.
0: Yeah, and it is. I think that there's a lot of cool stuff that happens in this movie. I think the way that you see Miles Teller, who's in fine final girl form, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> is, is <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, he
1: is a final. He is the final girl. That yeah, woman. I like that.
0: Yeah, he one hundred percent is is his final girl. But you see that like there's so many montages of him like practicing, and you see you know that his his hands are bleeding and like all of the damage that he's doing, and you see the like obsession that he is creating with reaching Mm -hmm. some unknowable level of Mm -hmm. genius that Fletcher expects from him, and and it's, it's a nice little way to be like, it's a nice little like physical manifestation of what is being done to, Mm -hmm. um, to, uh, what is this? What is this? Yeah. To Andrew's mind, like the deterioration and the breaking down and like, I'm going to say this and then I'm going to like qualify it. The complicitness of, an abuse victim in their own abuse. And let me be very clear that mm-hmm. when I say that, I do not mean that it is their fault, but like, it is the thing of like, why does he keep going back? Mm-hmm. You know, which is a question that is always asked about victims of abuse. Like, why didn't you leave? Why are you staying there? Mm-hmm. And you see very clearly that like, he can't, because what I took away from it is He wants to believe himself to be as good as Fletcher threatens that he is.
1: That's a great way to put it. And see, this is the thing about people like Fletcher. Yeah. I was actually listening to a podcast today and they're talking about Putin and they're talking about tyrants. Mm -hmm. It's like, they never come at you telling you I'm going to be a dictator and I'm going to ruin your life. They're like, let me bring you to the utopia. I'm offering you a utopia. And then it's a bait and switch. And that's what, that's what Fletcher is doing. He's dangling this promise slash threat of Andrew Neiman's greatness in front of his eyes and Mm -hmm. then snatching it away. Yeah. You know, again, for reasons that are completely unknowable, because he's clearly been doing this for years. We Mm -hmm. see him doing it to other people. We see how, you know, the moment Andrew walks into studio band rehearsal, how fucking terrified everyone is of Fletcher. Uh-huh. From the start. And then the way Fletcher charms him and then weaponizes. You know, it's like, where are you from? And Andrew's like, yeah, my yeah. Mom talk left to me about your my...
0: dad and what's going on. Like, what? I, what about your mom? And yeah, like you said, immediately, it immediately weaponizes, weaponizes it. it. Like, immediately takes what Fletcher has said about his family life, about what know, these other said. things. Yeah, sorry. Yes, about his family life and these things, and immediately is like, this is why this happened to you because you're, you know, you because you're a pathetic sack of shit. And and no wonder your mommy left. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's and you know, and you also see. Fletcher the the thing where he's like somebody's flat who's flat who's out of tune and he kicks the dude out and he's like just you know he goes through the whole thing of like weeding out who is the person who's out of tune Mm -hmm. and and he ends up kicking out the guy and then he's like for the record it wasn't him that was out of tune it was you but the fact that he couldn't tell is is even worse or whatever and it's like these are chill, like these are young people well it's
1: and it's (laughs) clearly like I have to I'll, I'll be honest like I'm not sure what your experience is in terms of mentors in your life? I mean, Mm -hmm. you've told me a few and I know some of the mentors that you've talked about that you greatly respect. Mm -hmm. I've been pretty lucky in that I've had, I've, I, I can't think of like a creative mentor in my life who I look back at and as like, that person was fucking with me because of their own ego and narcissism. And like, I never had that experience, mm-hmm. but I've heard that experience from a lot of my friends who are yep. in creative professions. Yep. Um. And I've, I've seen it, like I've, I've been on the outside and I've kind of seen it, you mm-hmm. know, and like, it is so incredibly destabilizing because like there's no one you want to please more maybe aside from a parent there's no one you want to please more than a mentor i mean think Mm -hmm. about if in star wars if you replaced obi-wan kenobi with terrence fletcher (laughs) like i mean what what, like it's it's horrifying right and the way I, that I, these people can play at your hopes and dreams and insecurities.
0: Right. You know? Yes, 100%. And I'm hard pressed to think of somebody who is more primed to abuse someone than a mentor who knows that they have a mentee who respects them. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because it is it is that thing of like wanting to get that approval and that recognition. Right and and all of those things and absolutely 100 i have had people who were mentors and who you know perverted that that dynamic mm-hmm. and it is it is very destabilizing yeah. and i think i think what's so interesting about whiplash is that it absolutely becomes this like i think it's very easy to look at it and be like oh that's a really fucked up movie and like that's a fucked up dude and blah 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 i do think that it's a lovely i think it's a brilliantly done metaphor for abusive relationships mm-hmm. and also i think think you know it is it provides a i like that it was a dude and a dude you know
1: what i mean i I like that it took the the you know it wasn't only on it it took the 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 gender dynamic kind of out of it right because it shows that abuse exists as a psychological power play separate from sex like sex is just one of the weapons that an abuser uses
0: right i think what whiplash does in terms of being like a wonderful movie about abuse is that it you know You and I have also talked about like the universality of abuse, right? That there Mm -hmm. isn't like a type and everybody wants to think that there is. Everybody wants Mm -hmm. to think that the people specifically the women and like gender expansive people who are abused that they are uneducated, that they are poor, that they are, you know, like alone Mm -hmm. that they, and it's, that's not what it is. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, I also really love that you have this really poisonous, rotten man in Fletcher and then just the sweetest, most supportive father in Paul Reiser. Paul Reiser, yeah. Yes, who was just, but who's like,
1: not afraid to call Andrew out on his bullshit, like at yeah. that dinner table scene.
0: Yes, and
1: so that shows like he's not a pushover father, but he is a supportive, good. He's like the father that you want. Yeah,
0: and he reminded like me of watching. my dad. Yeah, and honest. he's like watching for his son. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there is that moment in the final concert when Andrew like leaves, and his dad is like, "Yep." Yeah, let's go. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Andrew turns around and heads back on stage and his dad isn't like, what are you doing? And like, why are you going back to this? He's just like, okay, I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to be here in the wings.
1: I'm going to trust you and I'll be here when you need me. Yeah. Yeah. But it's so interesting how that kindness and supportiveness from his quote failure of a father who's yeah. a writer who is actually like a school teacher, you
0: yeah. know,
1: yeah. Um, how much unspoken contempt Andrew has for that. Yeah, And that's one of the things that Fletcher preys on. Yep. And this is why he's Hannibal Lecter. It's like Hannibal right. Lecter talking to Clarice, like he's able to look into your soul at one glance and know exactly what buttons to push. Right. And like, that's, it's terrifying right. because like, I mean, like I said, I've never quite had a mentor like that, but we've all had someone in our life who maybe not to this degree has tried this shit on us. Mm. And it's really scary. It's really scary to like have someone that you want their respect and all you get from them is like, not only contempt, but like a desire to hurt you.
0: Yeah. And it's, like, it's, it's an interesting thing, right? Because if Andrew, you know, when Fletcher was like, what is, like, what does your dad do? If Andrew had come out with, he's a teacher. He wouldn't like, have use that. Right. Right. And that's the thing. No, that he's, a, he's, like, a he's a writer. Well, will... Yeah. Well, this, and it's, you know, it's interesting to see, you know, along with, along with the thing of the sort of torture that Andrew is putting his physical body through. And of course his mind, it's also interesting to see, you know, the other facets of abuse Mm -hmm. that we see come into this. Like when he breaks up with his girlfriend who's played by Melissa, is it Benoist?
1: I I looked it up and I don't know how to pronounce it. Benoist? 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 Yeah, it looks um, French, I think. She, I
0: don't she was she was a glee cast member. She was a okay. glee 2.0 cast member, a uh, lovely singing voice. But you know, when he's like dating her and then goes to her and he's like, I can't do it. Like it's this mm-hmm. stuff that, like, you know, he isolates himself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, but that's what abusers do, is right. they is they get you to, and I think so. There's again, spoilers but there's a brilliant trick that this movie does Mm -hmm. that. And I'd forgotten that this movie did it. And when it happened, I just watched it again last night and it fucked me up Mm -hmm. is there's this escalation of abuse with Fletcher. And then something terrible happens—a car Mm -hmm.
2: accident—because
1: Andrew's been pushed so far, and he's just lost all perspective. Yes, and this sort of prompts Andrew's father, and it's never clear who this woman is. I think she's maybe a lawyer for the earlier student who killed himself. Family, that's right.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but they come to Andrew, advocate, Mm -hmm. and they're basically like, "We need to go after Fletcher and make sure he never does this again." And you know, he won't even know that you're the one who filed the complaint. And you know, and so Andrew. Gets tucked into it. We find out later the Fletcher got fired. Uh-huh. Then Andrew, who has given up, you know, he got kicked out of school, has given up, just he's he's like a shell of what he was. Yep. Walking down the street and he happens to pass a jazz club where he sees Fletcher is inside playing. This is mm-hmm. after everything has gone down. He goes in, watches the performance, tries to leave, but then Fletcher sees him and they end up having like a drink together after yep. everything that's happened. And the movie fucking tricks us. Because it puts us into Andrew's head because now we're seeing Fletcher be like, I was just trying, you know, I just, I believe in what I'm doing. I believe in like, I'm just trying to find the next Charlie Parker. And, you know, yep. it would be a tragedy if I never did. And, yep. and he's so warm and so like, you know, even kind of like humble. Yeah. And he's like, Andrew, I don't know how you're going to take this, but I'm, you know, I'm conducting this new, the the JVC band, the the drummer we have just isn't cutting it. I need someone who knows the charts. Can you come and, and in? And so he like, he disarmed him. And then now he's like playing to his ego again to get him to join this band just for the final fuck you of humiliating him on stage and what's brilliant about it is because of the script and because jk simmons is so goddamn good in this movie yeah in that moment he makes you forget that he's a monster yeah and you understand how andrew got taken
0: in yeah there's one moment in that scene where he talks he's like yeah i'm not at, at what was the name of the school Schaefer. Schaefer. He's like, I'm not at Schaefer anymore. And Andrew's like, Oh, did you quit? And he's like, mm-hmm. No, no, I. And you know, he's he goes into talking about the story. He's like, Somebody, I probably a kid in you know the year. He, there's a scene where. Uh, Fletcher is talking to the students and he's talking about this, this student that he had that was just like incredible and was so wonderful. And he, he found out that day that the kid had died in a car accident. And you come to find Mm -hmm. out later that the kid actually did not do that. He took his own life, um, because he was suffering from depression and anxiety. That was probably-
1: Because of not the the abuse. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That was because of the abuse, at least in part because of the abuse Mm -hmm. that he suffered at the hands of Fletcher. But he says the whole thing of like some, you know, probably some kid and in that kid's year, probably like, you know, the lawyers got to him or whatever. And like, Andrew's like, Oh, that's too bad. And, Fletcher says something like, I don't know what people are complaining about it. It was peaches and cream with me.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and Andrew,
0: Andrew kind of like laughs and there's it's it's a blink and you'll miss it. But Fletcher looks at him mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, no, again, like that looks <laughs> right
1: into his soul
2: and
0: figured it yeah, out. Yeah, And, and, but and it's, he plays it's, a, it's a very interesting moment because it's Fletcher looks at him in that moment. And it's this sort of like and I think he kind of like, he goes on to be like, oh, is that funny? But it's like, he's not joking with you. Like, that's legitimately mm. a threat. But again, Fletcher is mm. such a good actor. Well, he plays it he perfectly
1: can... because if, yeah. he had, if he had tried to be like, I'm really just a puppy dog and I just love my students. No, he's still got the arrogance and everything, mm-hmm. but it's just, he just tempers it just enough yeah. to get through the armor.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the whole thing, of course, Andrew shows up to the show. He's not given the correct chart. Fletcher walks up to him and is just like, you think I'm a fucking idiot? I know it was you. And then humiliates him on stage.
0: I remember watching that for the first time. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, the like the bottom dropping out of like my soul. Yeah. Just being like, oh, my God, because not only is it such a fucked up thing to do to like a young person, it's also, I think every performer, regardless of what your discipline is, every per- performer's worst nightmare to show up somewhere and it's, you're like, I don't have the thing that I need to do it's, the thing. It's
1: the dream of like being in front of the class and realizing you're naked or, you know, it's- right. Right. It, it is. It is the, It's. I mean, I'm not an actor and I've had those dreams. Like I've had acting dreams where mm-hmm. I somehow got talked into being in a play and then I show up and I'm like, wait, what play are we doing? And like, no one ever gave me the script. You know,
0: my actor's nightmare. Just a quick sidebar. My actor's nightmare is always that I show up for what I think is going to be the first day of rehearsal. And it's actually opening night. Yeah. And I'm like, why did nobody tell me that I missed all of the rehearsals? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, it does. What are you doing? Get on stage. And I'm like, yeah. I do don't know the play like, yeah
1: and this is that exact nightmare
0: yes in like, real life
1: it's just like jk simmons is like i he's one of those actors that i know that i like and mm-hmm. then i see him again in a movie like this and i'm like oh my god like you're fucking brilliant like yeah. there's, did, did you ever watch the show oz on hbo no for anyone, I think I've mentioned it on here before, but for anyone who has not seen it, it was, it was sort of pre-Sopranos HBO edgy soap opera. It's all it's set in a prison. And it's basically mm-hmm. a super dark, super violent soap opera set in a prison. Mm-hmm. And J.K. Simmons has a role. He plays the character Schillinger. And if anyone's seen it, is he's a neo-Nazi. He runs like the Aryan gang. Right. And he is fucking terrifying. Yeah. But the thing that's terrifying about him is that he's charming. He's disarming. And that's the thing he does with Fletcher here, where it's just like, he'll make you think he's on your side and then he'll totally turn on you and then he'll make you think he's on your side again and then turn on you just like a snake. Yeah. He does it over and over and over again.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's, I'm sorry, continue.
1: I was just going to say, and it's like, not, I don't think there's a ton of actors who would be able to pull that character off without leaning too hard one way or the other. And he just is like right on the perfect tightrope with right.
0: Yeah. That's the thing is that J.K. Simmons really, so not to be shitty here, but a lot of times (laughs) Uh. male actors will default to screaming. Mm -hmm. They'll default, they'll default to shouting, I should say, because screaming is kind of stupidly gendered, but Mm -hmm. they'll default to shouting. And what I think is so interesting about his work is that, like, Fletcher 100% shouts. Mm-hmm and he 100% knows like JK Simmons, 100% knows the value of like whispering a threat to someone mm-hmm. and then turning around and throwing a chair at them. Right. Like, which again, I think is also just so it's one of those things that I'm like, you know, I hope JK Simmons has never been the victim of abuse and, and mm-hmm. also has never been an abuser, but it's just so out of the abuser's handbook. It is the thing of like gripping your arm and whispering a threat in your ear and mm-hmm. then also knowing that later you're gonna get put through a wall. Mm-hmm. It's it's like understanding the unpredictability of an abusive person and how that in and of itself is also weaponized that it's Mm -hmm. like you're gonna fuck up and you're never gonna know whether or not i'm going to be like whispering threats into your ear or i'm gonna be banging your head into a wall
1: right and like when he when he does shout it's totally strategic
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and the thing about fletcher is and this is again what makes this a horror movie is you're never on solid ground with him because yeah. nothing makes sense. When he's stopping, he was like, mm, not quite on my tempo. Are you rushing or are you dragging? Like, there's no way to know. Like, yeah. Because it's it's not real. It's just a mind game. It's just a head game.
0: I think that that's an interesting thing that the movie does with the thing of like, somebody's, somebody's out of tune. Somebody's off key. Mm-hmm. And you see that he's like, I'm fucking with you. And then it immediately goes into the, you're rushing, you're dragging, you're rushing, you're dragging. Mm-hmm. This is the, not my tempo, not my tempo. And it's like, is he? cuz like yeah. every fucking time it sounds exactly the same to me granted i am no drummer so please don't please don't mm-hmm. come at me with things of like stupid it's obvious like <laughs> but i'm like i don't fucking hear it
1: i
2: don't and either.
0: and again the thing that is like the thing that is so terrifying to me about this movie is it's not somebody who's just like i'm abusive because i just want to fucking abuse young people this guy is like i'm abusing you again because you are better than this. He has told you let me push you into that realm right. of excellence. Miles, uh, uh, Andrew says it. He's like, I want to be great. And um, Nicole is like, you want to be great? And he's like, I want to be one of the greats. Mm-hmm. Like he wants to be in that strata. Right. And he believes and- that Fletcher can get him there.
1: And the thing is, Fletcher maybe believes it too. But it's like Fletcher has told himself a story about his motivations. Mm-hmm. But his actual motivations are just. Pure narcissism so it's like he doesn't even understand what's going on in his own
0: brain right and what do you okay so what do you think and i know we've we've got to kind of wrap this up soon but like what do you think about the end of the movie
1: i struggle with it not in a bad way but in a like i don't know how to feel about it me too me too um and i've read i was reading all sorts of stuff about it last night where people are like you know, on forums and stuff being like, is this a happy ending or is it not a happy ending? Yeah. And it's like, I mean, on one level, Andrew finally gets gets it over on top of Fletcher. Mm-hmm. But it's presented as, oh, he finally won Fletcher's respect. And I'm like, I don't think he's escaped. I don't think he's escaped it. Because Fletcher's just going to wait for the next opportunity to tear
0: him down. Gosh. You know? Yeah, and I don't. I don't know that I've ever watched it as being like, oh, he's finally won Fletcher's respect. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to. I'm trying to parse out my thoughts on this. So, for anybody who hasn't watched it or who needs a reminder, for anybody who hasn't watched it and doesn't mind getting spoiled, <laughs> and for anybody who needs a reminder, Fletcher does the thing of like, come and do this concert with me. Completely fucks him over by not giving him like the first piece of music.
2: <laughs> mm. Andrew
0: tries to like improv it. <laughs> yeah.
1: And it's awful (laughs) It's
0: disastrous. Um, And then he, he leaves, he walks off stage and then he's like, Nope, I'm not going to. And he comes back. Mm. And what is interesting to me is that he starts playing and the upright bass player is like, what the fuck are you doing, man? And he Mm. goes, I'll cue you in. And it's like, (laughs) whose show is this now? Well, that's, I mean, that's the great, right. And that's, that's the thing. And then they like, finish that song, right? But uh, Andrew keeps playing and Fletcher's like, what the fuck are you doing? The interesting thing to me though, is that in that moment when Fletcher comes back to him and is like, what are you doing? It's not like he's not mad. He's genuinely like, What are you doing? What's happening here?
1: Uh, It's actually interesting. I hadn't picked this up, but I read this. He only ever really refers to him as Neiman. Like he only refers to his students by their last name or by some fucked up nickname that he comes up with. In that moment at the end where he comes up, he's like, What the fuck are you doing, Andrew? It's the first time he calls him Andrew. Yeah. I read that on like Reddit or something and I was like oh shit like yeah that's telling yeah yeah um,
0: I think apparently also too he mispronounces like Neiman is not actually the pronunciation of that name so if oh, he's interesting. like purposefully
1: I didn't pick that getting
0: up. his name wrong I mean, it um, makes sense yeah because mm-hmm, it's just another it's just another fucking gaslighty thing to do to somebody yeah. but yeah so Fletcher comes over and he's like what are you doing and then Andrew says to him I'll cue you in <laughs> it's, it's pretty great because and yeah and in that moment it's so weird because Fletcher's like what I see is that Fletcher's like I'm like this you can't Andrew has taken the power from Fletcher mm-hmm. right he's even being like hey man I'll cue you in you take your cues from me I'm mm-hmm. running this show now mm-hmm. and at a certain point In some kind of like transcendent drummer ecstasy, Andrew is doing the thing and like doing it and doing it and doing it. And then Fletcher comes over and starts like conducting him,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, and. I think what's interesting is that the movie ends in this thing where, yeah, it, it can kind of look, I guess like in that moment, he's gained Fletcher's well, respect, but th- I don't know if it's that. I'm It's, I, I don't it's know. so
1: perfectly ambiguous because yes. there's a way to read it. I mean, there's a few ways to read it. One is like, he has finally gained Fletcher's respect, which I'm not sure. Like you're never going to gain an abuser's respect.
2: Mm-hmm. The other
1: is like, Andrew beat him, like, he yeah. beat him at his own game. And that's the happy ending version. But there's this ambiguous, me being the dark person that I am, like, the way I almost read it, is that Andrew thinks he beat him, and then Fletcher, like, okay, now I'm going to play to his ego again, and start conducting him to make him feel like, okay, now we're on, like, equal footing. And I'm just thinking, what's the moment after? What happens tomorrow?
0: yeah and I think like it's
1: not going to stop with this motherfucker right I think what
0: we're seeing there is like the end of Little Shop when they've destroyed Mm -hmm. Audrey too and then the end is like one little forgotten yeah
1: or it's or it's the it's the end of Carrie where the ham comes out of the grave you know I hadn't thought of this but it's a great horror movie ending because it sets up like the horrific sequel (laughs) yeah
0: this is and it's so funny that you said that Scotty because I was like this this really does feel like in a year we're going to get like a whiplash to the reckoning mm-hmm. or something you know what i mean that like- it
1: does i mean it is like you said he's a final girl and it really is kind of set up almost as a slasher movie
0: yeah and like yeah. It, it's it's really like because there's a moment and I I would need to go back and like watch it again but there's a moment where had they cut the movie there it would have been clear that like Andrew beat this guy Andrew mm-hmm. beat him at his own game and he bested this guy by using the tools and the expertise and that belongs to Andrew but it's like it like cuts to J.K. Simmons or they share a look or it's something just it's just a little like,
1: bit later yeah.
0: yeah that it's like oh this isn't and this isn't you something see that belongs J.K.
1: To Simmons him. starting to take the power back a little and then it ends there and it's a uh, to me it's a dark ending i think
0: Uh, yeah i definitely did not leave the movie on this rewatch or 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 when i watched it the first time being like good 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 for andrew
1: it's it's like (laughs) the ending of um a clockwork orange i don't know if you've ever seen it where it's like it's set up to look like a happy ending but Mm -hmm. like just peel the scab back a little bit and it's like ooh, no it's it's a spine chilling ending right and like it's uh i remember liking the movie when i first saw it but not necessarily being like my mind was blown Mm. and i don't know if it's because of the cultural moment we're in now 2022 versus 2014 yeah but this movie hit me a lot harder on a rewatch
0: same yeah and it was an interesting thing too because like when i watched it in 2014 i had a conversation with a friend that it was like this is super fucked up but um i'd had a conversation with a friend where we were kind of like but oh, we see a lot of where Fletcher's coming from. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't a fucking joke. And if you were doing this kind of work, if you are one of the purest things you can do Mm -hmm. in this world is to create art and why the hell are you going to do it? Half-assed. Half-assed. Why are you going Mm -hmm. to seek mediocrity in doing this thing when you could be doing something that is Mm -hmm. beautiful and, and has the power to change the world? You know, like mediocrity is for it's, amateurs.
1: It's easy to really get yourself caught up in that, and that's yeah. and that's why I think this is a horror movie for creative people. I'm watching it also <laughs> from the from the uh, perspective of a teacher because yeah. you know I teach film, I teach screenwriting, I am put in the position of being a mentor, and it's a line I've really had to like think about for myself mm-hmm. because it's like I do think. I I want to expect more of my students than what they're giving me. I do want to push them. I do want to sort of be like, you know, don't rest on like, again, don't rest on good enough. Like, Mm -hmm. I actually agree. Good enough is not necessarily a great way to approach art, Mm -hmm. you know? Same time, where's that line that I don't want to cross Because one thing is, I don't want to kill someone's joy. I don't want to kill someone's inspiration. I don't want to let my ego and whatever be the order of the day.
0: Precisely. I
1: want to be here to push you, but fundamentally to be a support. And I think if you were to talk to any of my students, I would hope that that's what they would say. I mean, that's, you know, and I've been let us know in the
0: comments, Students let (laughs) us
1: know. And I have had students like go on their their way to tell me this. And so watching this movie where it's like, that's the way you could go. And it's not my personality to ever be a Fletcher, but it's just, it made it like even more crystal to me that like my job as an educator in the creative arts is to impart skills to try to push my students to be better than they think they can be, but Mm -hmm. to be a support and to help spark inspiration, not terror, not terror that you're never going to be good enough.
0: Right. Like that's the
1: worst thing I could do.
0: Yeah, I think I 100% agree with you on the Whiplash is a horror movie for creatives. Even just thinking about, there's that scene where they're it's not Studio Band, it's like the it's like the JV Band, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: you know, and they're in there playing, and uh, I think it's the other drummer who like nods his head towards the door, and you see the shadowy figure mm-hmm. of what you assume to be Fletcher listening, and then you see him just kind of shake his head and like move mm-hmm. away. It's terrifying yeah absolutely you know it is it's it's
1: it's because that's the thing is it's like all of us who are creative and take our creativity seriously i don't i really try not to feel terribly competitive towards other writers or filmmakers Uh you know and i and i think i've said this on this podcast it's like i know who i am as a writer i think i'm a good writer i think i'm i've got talent i'm not anyone's genius Mm -hmm. I'm not fooling myself that I'm anyone's genius. I'm not trying to to be anyone's genius. Like I could imagine myself winning a Bram Stoker award someday or a Splatterpunk award or something. I'm not going to be winning any fucking Pulitzers, you know, and I'm not even going for it, you know? And, and, but that's a thing I ask myself is like, is that me settling for good enough? Because I always do want to be pushing myself, but at the same time, I don't want to kill my own joy by letting the competitiveness take over. You know, the, the idea of being one of the greats, I think, can be a great thing that pushes you and I think it can fucking be a killer too you know like at a certain point it's just like be the artist that you are right and don't measure yourself against others
0: right I think the thing to remember when you're talking in terms of like competitiveness mm-hmm. is to me and there might be like some self-help people who are like no that's incorrect but to <laughs> me competitiveness with yourself hmm is a great place to channel that competitive nature. Right, absolutely. um, My mentor is always saying like, the aim is for you to be better today than you were yesterday. It is not about being, it is not about me, Amelia, being better than the other person in the
2: cast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: The other person in the, whatever, you know? Right. But I do think it was just such a brilliant way of like, again, using the like monster lurking in the shadows, Mm -hmm. you know? But like, I'm sort of like, god is is whiplash like kind of like a really brilliant movie (laughs) i i
1: on a second watch like i my first watch is i was like it was a very good movie on a second Mm -hmm. watch i'm like this is like i mean this is a kind of a brilliant movie
0: yeah and again just like i said the like thing of like the shadowy figure of the monster that Mm. is like there present and then like, I mean, he slips very much back is into the shadows. He
1: is the boogeyman. I mean, even yes. think about the way the opening scene is shot. You know, we're looking down this long, dark hallway. It's a horror movie shot. You mm-hmm. see Andrew practicing at the end. And then we're in the room with him. And we see him practicing in this dark room. And he just looks up and Fletcher is there.
0: Right. And then he, and like, later on in the scene, he, like, looks down and he's looks gone. Up and he's
1: gone. And, it, I mean, it is. It's setting him up as almost like a Satan figure, like a devil type figure. Or, like, again, like Dracula.
0: And what's interesting you know? about that is that in that opening scene, Andrew looks up and Fletcher's gone. And then almost immediately comes back and he's like, oops, forgot my jacket. It's this really, mm-hmm. like, it's this thing of, like, what am I dealing with? And then like, mm-hmm. i are just dealing with a guy. Like I'm just dealing yeah. with a guy. And I feel like that is the but it's thing, that push that is pull. The constant push and pull of the entire mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, is like, absolutely. am I dealing with a monster or am I dealing with a man who's looking for excellence in something that I have mm-hmm. dedicated my life to?
1: Right. Absolutely. Uh, which,
0: again, but that's how really these people present
1: themselves, 100%, you know.
0: I do want to say hands down yes
1: real quick uh because you were saying like you you don't know like J.K. Simmons like history with this kind of stuff yeah I did read an interview last night where Damien I think it was Damien Chazelle uh was talking about working with him he was like basically like you all should just know that between takes he was the kindest sweetest loveliest person and he was like he had to be or you know it was what kept the set from being unbearable right and I was like, so that it just gave me the warm and fuzzies about J.K. Simmons. So that's good. Not knowing know. any more than that. <laughs>
0: that's good to know. Also, yeah. to just like the the like body gore. Also, just want to make a note of the body gore mm-hmm. again. This is one hundred percent a slasher movie.
1: Well, it's and I mean the what's going on with him drumming and the blisters. Bur- I mean, it's body horror. It's it's the physical. Fiz- it's like watching yes. the fly, watching Brundle fly degrade yes. before your eyes. And there's something again, it's, it's the, it's the rational space of a practice room. It's just, it's where you should be practicing your drum, but there's blood everywhere and it's the chaos of that, you know, and it's that juxtaposition is horrifying.
0: Yeah, I uh so my best friend and I had a year where we lived uh in college with just a just an awful human being. And
1: <laughs> you've told me this yeah,
0: <laughs> and she she would bring home random dudes all the fucking time who would like eat our mm-hmm. food and just awful. Generally um, the worst. Yes, but one of the guys That she, one of the guys that she Was seeing was A guy who was a drummer in a Disco cover band
2: Okay,
0: And like all, like all of the members Of this disco cover band all had Like other original music mm-hmm. Projects that they were all working on But they did this disco cover band to pay the bills sure. And they would go to clubs and they play the disco Hits and everything, and this guy Was hilarious because we would go See his shows and like dance in the clubs and have A good time, and then she would bring him home and they this is so shitty they'd like disappear into their into her bedroom for a little bit and then he would come out and hang out with me and my best friend <laughs> And he was really like what are you guys doing And like are you guys having a snack and you know that kind of a yeah. thing and i remember him showing us his hands and it was just massive
2: mm-hmm.
0: like scabbed holes in that mm-hmm. in that like fleshy part between right um, between
1: the webbing and between their yeah. thumb and forefinger mm-hmm. it's like, and just
0: gone and i we were like what the fuck is going on there and he's like it's just drummer hands yeah I, I mean like, look oh at any God.
1: guitarist and the calluses on their fingers you know yeah yeah
0: yeah so when that was happening i was like i know that this is a thing but like
1: <sighs> but seeing it yeah. yeah i mean it i i felt like I, it was visceral like i could feel it
0: yeah. yeah 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 well well done whiplash
1: yeah it's i like i said it it that movie, I already liked it, but it really impressed me on a rewatch.
0: So. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Right. So well, I, I think I think we maybe decided wrap it up. both movies are horror movies that mm-hmm. aren't horror movies that are horror yeah. movies. Yeah, I I think that is the verdict. I think that's the verdict. And I think that might be kind of, I think that might be kind of like my my horror movie of choice, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, cause yep. you're not a huge horror fan,
0: <laughs> not so. a huge horror fan. Yes. Right. <laughs> oh my goodness.
1: All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks guys. So I guess we should wrap this up.
0: Yeah, thanks uh, for listening. Like Scotty said last time, again, I, I I can't, I'm still a little like, I don't know if I can say anything just yet, because again, I don't have a mm-hmm. contract. But I do have a job over the summer that is going to be taking me away from Albuquerque. Um, I will be back. But in the meantime, Scotty's got a whole bunch of cool stuff lined up for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, might be a little break in there here and there, but yeah. Yeah,
1: it may not be exactly the every other week thing because it's going to kind of depend on when you're available and right. when I can line up like a guest. Because right. I'm not going to get on and just fucking yak at you by myself for right. two hours.
0: Right. No, yeah.
1: Don't worry about that.
0: But I think we can just stretch out. We're in season six now, right? Which is also a little ridiculous. <laughs> Arbitrary think, seasons. Yeah, right? <laughs> I think we can just stretch out season six until I yeah. get back because season five I, is that, four episodes.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I changed it to season six because we had your fucking surgery break. And then now we're going into this whole new thing.
0: Yes. Uh, I just yeah. don't want it to be season 13 by the time I get back. Right.
1: <laughs> but I've already lined up a few a few guest hosts Yay. and I'm working on getting some more. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully you guys enjoy them. Yes. Uh, but as we said last week, Amelia is absolutely irreplaceable and she will not be replaced on this podcast.
0: I will not be replaced. <laughs> God damn it. It's like, it.
1: what did they do during the um, during the Writers Guild uh, on the daily show where he was like, he didn't want to take credit for the show, John uh-huh. Stewart, because he didn't have his writers. So he's like, without the writers, this is not the daily show. It's a daily show. Yeah. So let's say that for the next few weeks, I mean, we, we've got a couple more episodes with Amelia, mm-hmm. but for like, you know, this summer block, it's not the weirdest thing podcast. It's a weirdest thing podcast.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. Gorgeous. <laughs> and with that, you all please stay weird. Please stay curious. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. So listen, friends, we'll blow your mind with the finest nonsense we could find. Might be true, and that's the weirdest thing.